The Collaborating Conversation podcast is for avid book readers, book lovers, and authors. Listen to this podcast as we talk more about the art of writing, stories behind books, and the hands that created them. So stay tuned and enjoy our show. Welcome to the Collaborating Conversations podcast. Today's episode is part two of a discussion on singularity and sci-fi. Like if you look at the progression of technology, I think by 2300, you know, when you get into like the the actual time frame that the expanse takes place in, I do agree with you. I think we're going to be well past the point of automation. Um, as in like, we'll have you know, like, automation or as in we've done, like, we've automated everything. Yeah. I mean, like to the point where like one person will be able to control a starship, you know, and it won't even be like, you know, they'll just be there, you know, in case something goes wrong. Right. Like it'll be primarily automated. You'll be the you know? who just sits in the nuclear reactor and make sure nothing happens. <laughs> yeah. You know, like I think, cause I think we're all, we're, you know, we're, we're not too far off from that. Right. Like I think if you look at what they're able to accomplish with SpaceX, right. Like, oh yeah. A lot of that fire, the launching and landing of rockets is automated, um, you know, and you have like a command center standing by, you know, in case something goes wrong. But, you know, well, just mostly depressing plays a heavy part in that uh, already today. And we're not even, you know, we're, you know, we're not even in 2050, right? Well, and I see the people- I think it's realistic to say, you know, in the next hundred years, the whole concept of space flight will be automated. Yep. Well, and I don't see it. I, my biggest reason for that philosophy is I don't see human minds accepting the cost of human treachery in space because it's going to be a small trickle. But as rocket boosters and all this stuff, the cost drop, I do see more and more people going up there, but I don't see it for work. Why would you send, you know, a massive starship to series to do ice hauling with, you know, 100 people on it to grab the ice when that can be fully automated? Because also, um, where if you look at growth of technology and, you know, how things get better, you know, I really love watching uh, two minute papers on YouTube. And his biggest thing is it's not about the paper now. It's about two papers down the line and the exponential growth. This is where humans really stink at at um, exponential growth. If we, you know, Moore's law is that chipsets double every two years, give or take. And that's for raw um, silicon and processing power, which has been true. We're kind of starting to reach a capacity to some extent but we're not truly there. And I think that could be, I don't know if there's a law or some type of scientific thing. I think the same thing could be said for software and abilities, right? Because if you look at a Raspberry Pi and even some of the basic vision stuff you can get done now, fully automated. I mean, look at also, look at Mar- look at the, the Mars rover. That thing lands itself. Because of the delayed lag, it lands itself. No one's piloting the Mars rover, anything we send to the Mars. It's all automated. <laughs> and I don't- Yeah, so kind of kind of switching gears a little bit, because since we talked about the expanse, like getting into the concept of AI a little bit more and the singularity, like what do we consider the proto molecule, right? Like, is that, is that artificial intelligence? Like what are people's thoughts? I think it's a very complicated virus that is meant to take over and build the, the, I forget the terminology, essentially the stargates. What was the, what was it actually called? Ring worlds or the ring, the ring, uh, the rings. Yeah. Um, it's it's a very complicated piece of software, right? Because it needs organic matter and a basic building block to create to create it. But look what look what happened when they when they threw it into Venus, right? The tower still sprouted out of it. So it's it's intelligent, but is it artificial intelligence and doesn't have consciousness? To be fair, I don't think we have an, we know enough. Um, I think it's a little bit more like when I forget the exact portion. Like when it comes to the station, it talks to it talks to Holland or talks to what's the main character's name? Shoot, totally failing. Um, Holden. It talks to Holden, right? 
but it talks to him through uh, the cop dude, right? Yeah, it hijacks a human consciousness, the, the, the remnants of a human consciousness to mimic the personality and behavior of that in order to accomplish a goal. Yeah. But it, but it uses that because it, 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 it pulled the data from the organic matter that it used to build itself, correct? Right. Yeah. So I would argue it's a very complicated virus. And if we look at like computer, you know, cybersecurity and all that stuff, the complexity of viruses over the years has been exponential growth. Like look at Stuxnet, how it was able to sneak into the, um, sneak into the, uh, what do they call them? The rotating things. The, wow. Words are hard. The, <laughs> Oh man, I can't remember the that. nuclear containment. Uh, no, the, yeah. the centrifuges that were used yeah. to spin up the uranium, and they were able to tell the controllers, "Hey, we're fine." Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. I mean, is that not what the expanse, like the proto molecule, did? It literally went into the world and pulled organic matter, and then like, "Hey." We're but gonna- I guess, but I guess in that that instance, though, it's only a virus to us. It's not a virus uh, from the uh, the 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 ring builders, right? Because they use the protomolecule throughout their society, as we see in, you know, later books and in later series where, you know, they use the protomolecule technology to build ships, to advance their species, to, you know, uh, modify planets, to make it more, you know, uh, habitable or, you know, you know, and ultimately, um, you know, and they, they hint at this in, towards the end of the series, you know, the, the, the ring builders whole thing was they, they wanted to unite. Uh, they wanted to unite all consciousness and thought, right? And so, you know, if you look at, like, I think the thing that was missing, so the protocol, the protomolecule was doing that, right? So, like, it would break down people and it would have, you know, all their voices, mm-hmm. but there was no, like, central server for it to connect up to to propagate across the entire species, right? And they tried to reboot that um, in the in the last book, right? You know, spoilers. Um, I haven't read it, read it yet. <laughs> no spoilers. Uh, but I mean, well, you're, you're kind of late. Um, but spoilers, 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 spoilers. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Close your ears. La, la, la. But I mean, they, I mean it, it just, it, it's hinted at, you know, they, they try to reboot that whole thing, right? And they, they end up not, you know, I won't spoil that part, but I mean, that, that, that was their whole thing. Right. And so the protomolecule was doing what it was intended to do. And all those voices were supposed to be connected up, you know, into like the central consciousness. Right. And so like all those individual voices would still have their individuality and then would become, you know, part of the collective whole. Right. Uh, and so I, and so it's, it's interesting because I think, um, you know, I think there's, you know, I would, I would classify as like a systems intelligence, right? Like I'm going back to like the founder series, like it's, 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 it's not fully AI, but it, it is, you know, it is mostly there, um, you know, to carry out a specific function. Right. Um, you know, and once it carries out that function, like it has no desire to do more, it just carries out that function. That's what it's made to do. And that was the whole premise behind system intelligences is they are systems that have, you know, a level of intelligence necessary to do some advanced function or, or capability and, and do everything necessary to do that capability, whether it be, you know, spin up, you know, more resources or, you know, do whatever they need to do. But, you know, at the end of the day, it just performs its function. And once it performs its function, it has no desire for more. Well, and I think that's an interesting discussion point about where we are right now, where right now any I don't think we've reached true artificial intelligence or art, like AI or like 
you know, sentient form, but we do have individual <clears throat> different artificial intelligence functions, right? So, you know, Tesla self-driving is a self-driving artificial intelligence to some extent. I'm not saying it's full in there, but that's the goal, right? Same with Super Cruise and all the other companies. Um, like, but it's a very specific, specified um, level of... Uh, of intelligence. Same with, I think it was Linda or Lambda. Same with Dolly 2, right? Dolly 2 is a specific open source, um, open source machine learning thing that generates photos based off your intelligence thing. Now, one thing with their project is they want to keep open. They want to make sure AI development is safe. So in their development of the artificial intelligence or in the neural net, I think it was maybe, which that gets into a whole can of worms of neural nets versus AI and what's the difference. And that's a whole can of technological worms that I don't fully understand and don't really care as long as the technology works. But I thought it was really, it was very interesting how they purposely didn't have any violence. There's no blood and gore. There's nothing because they don't want AI to go down the path of like being bad. Um, but it's very interesting because there's some cool photos where you just type something in and then a photo of what you typed will come out and it's, it's fantastic. And then, but then that destroys arts, right? Like, does that mean it's only an artwork if a human makes it or can it still be an artwork if a machine makes it? Like, does the source matter when things are created? There was a really good um, uh, short. I don't know if it was Love, Death, and Robots or or where where it came from, but it was about this um, this uh, legendary artist. Uh, you know, it was in the far future, and there was this legendary artist who created like these really mind bending art pieces. You know, and his art pieces were you know not traditional art. You know, um, and uh, you know he's just this world renowned uh, artist. You know, who's like highly regarded and very wealthy, and like the you know it comes to the premise of like, you know, he started out as a, uh, a, uh, a pool cleaning robot. <laughs> it was a pool cleaning robot. And then that, he made, he made that that just a blue square. Progressed <laughs> and developed, you know, over the years, you know, just based off of, you know, like being added onto enhanced and stuff like that, you know, until, you know, it becomes like this, this artificial human, you know, that people actually forget its origins and just think it's a human, you know, and, and then, you know, at the end of its life, it decides that it just wants to go back to being a pool cleaning robot. And like, like the, the, its final, you know, its final reveal is like its final art project is just this pool and like it sheds and reverts back into like this pool cleaning robot and just goes back to an existence of cleaning the pool. It's a very like existential video that is super trippy. Um, <laughs> I totally did not connect that is like existential but yeah that's love death and robots i forget which episode but that's an excellent series i think it's existential from the from the perspective of you know if you have this machine that develops full sentience but then at the end of its immortal life it decides i just want to go back to being a simple pool cleaning robot right like what does that mean for us as humanity <laughs> right? it's like we view sentience as being like you know the most important thing because we are it but you know is it you know i mean we have people in society who are this way right like you know you have people who you know go to the highest rings of society you know high you know extensive knowledge work fields and then they're at the end of the day just like yeah i'm just gonna I'm just going to go back to, you know, doing something simple because I don't want to do this anymore. Right. Like, I mean, there are yeah. definitely people in our society who are like that, where they're just like, yeah, I don't want to play this game anymore. I'm, I'm, I just want to go back to living a simple life. Well, um, that, was one of, that was one of the reasons why I like, I left the the Bay area was because it's like, this is like, don't get me wrong. The technology and the conversations were so cool, but it's just so like one expensive and two, just you're always chasing the next thing. Um, that's what I love about where I'm at now. It's, you know, you can just enjoy life and I don't want to say live in 
the moment because I think there's times for that, but also time to plan for the future. Uh, also reflect on the past, not to get too philosophical there, but yeah. And it's interesting, like, you know, you know, cause I kind of had that thing where I changed career fields to a different career field. Um, cause the one I chose wasn't fulfilling enough. And I think that is one of the cool things as humans right now is we get to choose and we get that right. Versus, you know, one could argue, Oh, he was a pole recruiting robot. So was that just in his programming? Like, even though he's an artificial intelligence, but was he just programmed? So that's the only thing that would, you know, air quotes, give him fulfillment. But then we always ask the same thing, right? Let's it's, it's a fundamental philosophical question of human nature is, you know, are we just programmed by our biology? Are we subject to just biological whims? Or is there like a greater purpose in the world? And do we serve a greater, you know, whatever? And it definitely, it definitely is an interesting question. And I think that's also one of the things where like, well, artificial intelligence and will people try to solve that problem or solve those questions? You know, that's where totally off topic, but I loved the, um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, but in in that one, they build the serpent computer to find the meaning of life, you know, to answer the question, <laughs> right? They develop something to answer the question. So that will also be, you know, kind of a switching gears. Will artificial intelligence be used to like find you know, human purpose or whatnot, or like, you know, there's this certain dystopias or was a Futurama that's like, you're going to be good at this job. So here's what you have to do the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah. They had this selection. Yeah. Right. Um, and will that affect actually people and type of thing? Like, will will AI become so good that it can just understand our personalities instantly and be like, I think you should do this. It's like, I'm going to rebel and do this. Like, haha, I knew you were going to do that. And that's actually what I want you to do. <laughs> yeah. Um, one area we haven't talked about, maybe, um, I don't know, Max, if you read the Bob Reverse books, uh, but maybe let's talk about, um, spend some time talking about, uh, that whole, and I think we can probably tie in maybe the Bob Reverse with, um, with some other series that play with that concept of, you know, uh, be going from a human to being a machine and like, what is, what is centrist, what is consciousness? So maybe, uh, Justin, you give us quick context on the Bobaverse for maybe people who are familiar with it. Yeah, I'm going to try not to spoil it because it's one of the, in my mind, one of the best pieces of science fiction out there. So um, the concept is a von Mirren probe, which, and I totally combatibly to that, but essentially a self-replicating probe that goes out to space and kind of creates more copies of it. So in the Bobaverse, he starts off life as a human. And then in the first chapter, not a spoiler, in the first chapter, he dies. And his consciousness gets thrown into a via um, a virtual machine that's running um, essentially in a cube. And then throughout the book, he goes through the essential life crisis of like, am I human or am I alive? Am I this? Am I that? What makes human? You know, um, but it's a great story. It's a great, it's a, it asks those questions, the fundamental questions, you know, because I think that's something I forget which project it is, but there are current projects that are trying to and want to be able to copy the mind of a human into a computer, right? Because that's one way to live hypothetically immortality because it's just, you know, the neurons and everything. So if you can build a copy of that neurological structure, um, will you, you know, is that still you? And is that, you know, is it you or is it a copy? And then if you link soul to that and other stuff. And so it, it answers those questions, but it also does that in a very fun science fiction very fun science fiction way and just a very explorative and it's one of my favorite favorite series ever i don't want to go too much into it because if you haven't read it read it everyone should read it it's a fantastic space opera and self-replicating and you know it's also interesting because like you know uh there's only one of us here that has is a father and so you know our kids the closest we get to self-replicating but it's not a true comp copy of our consciousness right we have to train those kids and imprint our some of our consciousness on them but 
only in our values and other stuff, right? But if you could make an exact copy of yourself, is it still you? I mean, this was the whole Star Trek replicator problem or uh, teleporter problem, right? Because essentially, yeah. when Star Trek, you were disassembled at a molecular level and then reassembled. Are you the same person or are you a copy? Which I don't think anyone's ever came up to a full, full conclusion, right? I think it, it, it kind of, I think if, if you look at it from the Star Trek lore, they believe it's the same consciousness. Um, but, you know, you know, you are being recreated. Uh, and so I think it's, it kind of plays, you know, I think another book that kind of explores this as well as uh, Fall by uh, Neil Stevenson, which came out a few years ago. But I think they take two different approaches, right? Because I think Babaverse focuses on, you know, that consciousness that is that person. Uh, there can only be one consciousness of you. And, um, you know, if that, con- you know, if you replicate what, what, what was that consciousness, it becomes someone different. Uh, but, it, you know, and, and they, and, you know, it gets into like that drift, right? Like, you know, exact copy, but different personality. Well, uh, so that's the altered Calvary also talked about this. So since the series has been out a few years, I'm okay with, there's kind of a spoiler at the end of it, but um, that the altered carbon says the same thing, right? You have a copy of your stack and then you put it into two sleeves, but from that moment you have a split, right? So it's to some extent, it's the multiverse theory of your split. So from that moment on, you have the same base code, but then how you interact and what happens in your life changes your can affect your personality are interesting, right? Uh, now, which book were you saying that was, that was doing that as well? Uh, so fall took a different approach because fall was the one where basically when someone dies, their connectome gets scanned and they get uploaded. But, you know, they, they established very quickly in the book that when these connectome scans happen, you know, when the person dies, it's not the person uh, that gets resurrected in this new universe. It's something like the person, you know? And so I think, you know, Neil Stevenson takes that approach that, you know, it is not you. It's just a copy it of is, your neurons. A it, copy is, of- it, is, uh, it is something like you. Um, that has your experiences, but basically starts a second life as something different, right? Uh, and so it was a, it was a completely different uh, take on that. Looking for an exciting space adventure book, a romantic young adult story, and a fantastic sci-fi read? Get the Fondra by award-winning author Emmanuel M. Ariaga today and prepare to feed your imagination with never-ending thrill ride. Um, there was another book, um, I'm trying to come up with the name of it, but the, the premise in the book was, um, you know, you had the progression of technology to a point where, you know, you could send off a copy of yourself. Um, uh, actually, I think the book is called The Singularity, funny enough. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, um, the, you could send off a copy of yourself um, into, uh, into the digital sphere, you know, and that consciousness of yourself could go off and learn and have its own lived experiences, but then it would come back and then sync with you. Right. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, you, you know, you had the human who was, um, you know, the, you know, the original, you know, person. And then you, you kind of send off, you know, a copy of yourself to go do some task. And so it was, it was a, a way it basically implemented like true multitasking, right? Because it's just like, Hey, I'm going to make a replica of myself digitally 
that's going to, I'm going to assign to a task and that replica will go off and do that task and then come back to me. And then I will absorb the information that that replica, you know, experienced. And then now we are two, the two of us will become one and we'll have, you know, that, um, that, the best uh, way to go to college. Just go to college in a digital, because think about it, right? If it's digital, you can go 24-7 and you don't have to deal with cycles. And so, and then it's basically Matrix, it Matrix the information back to your head, right? Accelerando. So the name of the book is Accelerando. Okay. Um, an- and uh, and, and one, of the, one of the things that happens, um, you know, so the so whole premise of that book is it to, to get to the singularity, and they do. Um, but, one, you know, it kind of, so it kind of talks about the progress of humanity. Uh, you know, and so it gets to the singularity and then what happens once we get to the singularity. Um, and, um, you know, but one of the interesting things, right, is, you know, at one point in the book, there's this character who is the daughter of, you know, the, the original main character, you know, and this is, you know, many years later. And she she came, she creates a digital copy of herself and puts it on a spaceship. Right. And sends that spaceship off you know, on a journey. And so you have this spaceship that's completely automated, that's manned by these digital replicas of humans, right? Um, But there's no actual humans on the ship. Mm. And so that ship goes off, it goes to the galactic edge, you know, it goes to the edge, the far edge, you know, uh, they they basically discover a network terminal in space, uh, you know, and so it's just like, oh, maybe there's aliens, you know, we've discovered what appears to be like a network link to connect with like this broader galactic network, right? And so they send the ship off to go connect with that network, right? Um, And the human leaves the human body, you know, Earth, right? And so, you know, this trip ends up taking you know, like over a hundred years or whatever, you know, a hundred, 200 years. Right. And so when the machine returns, you know, the, uh, the, the, the physical form of the woman, right. Had, you know, she had actually, you know, uh, died. And then they, and it was interesting because they, you know, at that stage, I think death was an optional thing because it was, you know, people, they had found a way, you know, to extend human life. But what ended up happening was, you know, her physical form had become bankrupt because of, you know, a whole bunch of lawsuits and other things and stuff, you know, and debt that they amassed. And, you know, and so like they died destitute. And then when the artificial intelligence version of her gets back, you know, they, they try to hit the artificial intelligence with all the back debt that the human accrued you know, in their lifetime and the artificial intelligence is like, well, wait a minute. And they're just like, well, you, you're her, you know, but like, you know, they had split. Right. And so like one had went off and lived this, you know, journey to the galactic edge and they brought back like a digital alien. Right. You know, <laughs> and, and, and like the I digital consciousness of an alien. Right. And, and, uh, you know, and so it was, and so it was very interesting. Right. Because it's just like this artificial intelligence was now being hit with the mistakes of their human, their human body, even though they considered that human body, that person, a different person, and they actually resented the, the decisions that the human person made, right? Um, mm. And, you know, and then it comes, it becomes later in the story where, you know, the, the artificial intelligence gets an artificial shell, right? You know, to, to have like that human body experience. But it, it just, it plays around with that concept of like, you know, you know, creating a digital version of yourself, like who, like, you know, you have those different consciousness, right? And like they, they're different people, but then they kind of, they consolidate. But then what happens when that initial version of you is no longer around, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so it's, it's an interesting book, but I think it plays in with like that concept of, you know, what happens when a human digitizes, you know, are they the same person? And I think a number of authors have explored this in different ways. And I know the Babaverse approach to this is, you know, I think in the later books, they talk about, you know, like quantum theory, mm-hmm. where your consciousness is, is a singular quantum state, you know, that it persists over, you know, 
independent of your existing shell, right? So like if you transfer your consciousness from one location to another and shut down the previous body of your consciousness, your consciousness shifts, you remain the same person, right? Like that was one of the things that the Babaverse establishes, right? Like as long as you turn off your prior body, your consciousness, that quantum state of your consciousness does transfer, um, which I think is an interesting concept. You know, I think it's it's a way to try to, you know, introduce, you know. Well, the author was taking it to a very sp- interesting place um, and hypothesizing, you know, um, what's it called? Uh, simulation theory. But I think it's yeah. also very interesting how <clears throat> the laws are going to have to change. And we already know laws don't keep up with this, right? Like, yeah. you know, the first person who digitizes, like, are they going to be able to keep all their rights? Are they going to be able to have access to their bank accounts? Are they going to have access to all their wealth? But then how do you deal with like generational wealth or something where someone lives a thousand years digitized and because, you know, they're not spending as much money or whatever, you know, their bank account is just constantly growing because of compound interest, right? Because in human scale, compound interest is decent. But then, you know, if you start off with like $20,000 and then don't spend anything and you compound interest for a thousand years, right? But to some extent, I think yeah, I mean, Futurama played around with this, right? Like Fry yeah. had, you know, like $100 in his bank account or something like that, right? And over the course of, I don't even think it was $100, but over the course of like the thousands of years, yeah, you know, he, he ends up being like a multi-billionaire, right? His bank account persisted, right? And he accesses it thousands of years later and he's just like, hey, all right, Fry, you're a billionaire now, right? And he's just like, what? <laughs> well, but wasn't inflation so bad that it was still worth only like 100 bucks or something? <laughs> I forget what they were doing on that one. But yeah, I think it kind of speaks to the, you know, the concepts we've talked about before with like, um, you know, altered carbon and stuff like that, where, you know, if you, if you add the end, if you add that time scale aspect, and I think they talk about them in the Babaverse too, right? You know, the moment the time scale changes, right? Where time is no longer a limiting factor for humanity. You know, when the time scale changes, like the whole, the whole part of existence shifts, right? Because, you know, like the, like the, you know, the bobs start thinking of, you know, non-bobs as ephemerals, right? Because it's just like, you know, your lifespan is 60 to 80 years, right? Like that's a drop in the bucket for me because I'm going to exist forever, you know, un- unforeseen, you know, you know, uh, some kind of war act or, or destruction mistake, you know, un- yeah. you know, unforeseen, right? Uh, and so I think it's it's just, I think many different series play with this. And I also play with it in Foundry, right? Where you have the immortals, you know, and 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 that time scale. The moment you add immortality into that mix, like it just changes the perspective for for everything. And I think from it from like you know going back to AI, and, and maybe this is a note to end on. You know what? You know what is? You know, do we think that you know time is something that distinguishes like human humanity from you know artificial intelligence or you know or sentience? Like, is it? Is it human that we live and die or is it, is it human? You know, I think you can look at the religious aspect of it, but like, is it human, you know, to be finite in, you know, today, or is that, or is that irrelevant? Right. Or like in the future, because they have all the technology dying becomes archaic. And it's like, why wouldn't you want to live forever? Cause that's just the cultural norm versus like us where I don't want to live more than like 200 years. Like I would don't think I'd want to live more than 200 years. It's difficult enough living like my, you know, X amount now it's already been hard enough. But I do think one of the things that I like about that is um, because I've been thinking about it in the scope of politics and business and stuff right now, everyone's thinking in such short terms 
And, you know, our presidency, and again, not to get too far into politics, our presidency is two terms or eight years, which isn't really a lot, but it also is a lot. You can do a lot in four years or eight years, but is there a benefit to having someone thinking long-term of the country, right? Or long-term, you know, thinking long-term? Because I think that's one of the human problems because until you get older, um, due to relativity, you know, a year is barely anything of your life when you're young. It's one tenth when you're like, you know, 10, one twentieth when you're 20 and one thirtieth when you're 30. And as you get older, a year becomes less and less time. But I think we somehow lose track of that time and lose track of long-term planning and thinking. And I think that'd be interesting if like you had an AI or something dedicated to like, actually the decisions you're making now are going to be like super terrible for your grandkids or like your future kids, you know? Um, Like I'm pretty sure if we knew about global warming or, you know, climate change or all this stuff, like when everyone was doing it, would that still, you know, if you knew about that, would, would all the industry and all the things happen or would more time and energy been put into, you know, clean stuff. And I, I don't know, it's an interesting thought experiment, but also just being able to, think long-term, I think is a very beneficial mindset that currently isn't always employed. I think they're separate in a way. Um, it is human to live and die. I feel like that's the beauty of life, right? You're, you're racing against the clock, except you don't really know how much time is left. Right. And, and you have to sort of make the, the most of it, or maybe you don't, everybody has their own philosophy. Um, in a context of, of AI, even though, yes, we're looking at intelligence in, in a human versus intelligence in the machine and what are the differences and, and so on and so forth. At the end of the day, it's, it's, uh, it's a tool. It's a mean to an end. It's, it's a tool that's there to hopefully uh, help make our lives a little bit easier. As with most things, uh, you know, something has, something has to give. Uh, there are pros and cons. Um, you know, while it could be meant for one thing, you could have folks use it for something, something totally different, which, you know, may or may not be good. And all of a sudden, I forgot where I was going with this. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, but yeah, I think thinking, children thinking, human consciousness. Right. So to me, it's like the beauty of a machine, right, is that it never forgets unless you just erase the hard drive uh, and just empty everything, right? Um, the beauty of a machine is that it never forgets. So it can get good at one thing and become really good at it and even better than what the human could ever be, right? But where we are now, it's, it's really a test, at least an application of memorization, because with humans, we're able to apply intelligence and in, and. In, in multiple contexts, right? So you learn how to play checkers and then you go learn how to play chess. And while that's a totally different game, you're able to, um, you know, take some of the things you learn in checkers and, and try to apply that there. Same thing, you go to go and, you know, so on and so forth. So as you, as as you're faced with challenges with a higher degree of complexity, um, the foundation you have from your previous experiences uh, is something that you're able to apply, assuming you figure out a way to apply them. Uh, machines today, at least, are not able to do that. You know, you can uh, one up. You know, you can teach them to do one thing really well, but if you say, "Okay, do this other thing," without necessarily telling them. Okay, to pair, they can't do anything they haven't been programmed for. And once that happens, that's why I think we will have reached the singularity. And 
you know, until then, uh, I don't know, just look at it as, as something that can be helpful. Well, I think the singularity is even beyond that, right? Because I think it's the singularity is not just the existence of AI. The singularity is the existence of like a benevolent AI. Um, like, like getting to that state of um, uh, absorption almost into into like the this 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 instinct consciousness you know one of the things in the accelerando for example that book i was mentioning before you know their instate and the singularity was you know they had you know humanity had continued to progress to a point where you know everyone gave up their mortal shell and became a digital existence and you know they broke down the 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 planets of the inner solar system into their their raw elements to create um more space for digital entities to exist you know in this perpetual existence machine right of providing energy dissipation and uh existence for for society right and so like that that was the end state for the singularity you know and then for the people who didn't want to digitize their existence like they put them in the far solar system and said hey we've made this we've we've terraformed this planet for you you know if you want to continue to be a meat bag like you can you can exist here you know in in utopia but the rest of us are going to go become you know this this society that exists on essentially heat dissipators and data holders <laughs> you know, powered by the sun in the inner solar system for the rest of, you know, uh, our society. And it was just a really like, it's just like, which one would you be, right? Would you, you know, when the singularity happens, do you want to exist as a digital entity or do you want to stay in meatbag and have to go somewhere else because the solar system that you grew up in that your humanity existed in for so long, no longer is hospitable for life because it's been optimized for, you know, the expansion of civilization, which means digital civilization. Right. Um, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's a, a, a that place to like end on final thoughts. That sounds like a great topic for another time. However, yeah, I think that's a great topic. I think final thoughts are, it's a difficult question. I don't think we have an answer, but I'm excited and optimistic for the future because I think it's going to be fun. I'm hoping it's not full Terminator, but um, at the same time, you know, who doesn't want to be a John Connor and who doesn't want to fight the machine, <laughs> fight the power man? No, um, I think there's, I think it's a wonderful opportunity and I think it's going to raise interesting questions and it's going to be interesting how life changes. So I'm excited to be alive in this time and yeah, see what the future holds. It's going to be fun. Any final thoughts, Max? Uh, my thoughts and prayers are with the engineers that have to come up with this technology. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be allowed to sleep nights. And so just to close, so interesting thing of the week, who wants to go first? So I am in Berrien Springs right now, uh, home of Andrews University. And um, I used to come here in the summers because I have an aunt who lives here. And I never realized that there's nothing here for everything. Literally, you have to go to Indiana. So <laughs> that's my <laughs> that's my fun fact. 
of of the week. The fact that, uh, yeah, I'm just now realizing this and I've been here maybe a dozen times already. So what you're saying is you've gotten used to uh, Uber Eats and Lyft and now there's nothing to do there. <laughs> what? So here's the thing with Uber Eats. So there's actually a delivery fee, right? So they give me this uh, promo of like, uh, I guess, Uber Premium or whatever their paid program is. And there's no delivery fee. But because everything is far here, the delivery fee is still there. Mm. But I mean, this is like my second or third time as an adult, though. So I guess before I didn't really have to worry about. (laughs) Don't you miss those rose colored glasses we had on as kids? I know, right? It's crazy. I want to be oblivious again. Everything was. Yeah, that's that's my fun fact um, of, of the week. So my fun fact of the week, I think, actually really applies here because it's it's not specifically unintended consequences, but unexpected changes. So we all are aware about the printing press and how that revolutionized knowledge transfer. But were you aware that what one of the biggest unintended changes happened after that? Turns out everybody realized I, I always get farsighted and nearsighted confused, but everybody figured out they needed glasses because they couldn't read the books. So it actually changed and the glasses industry became just as big as the book industry. Um, so I was reading how we got to here or how we got to now. I forget the author's name. But it was a fascinating discussion how things are connected and how I never correlated how the printing press would have required uh, or would have would have pushed innovation in glasses where uh, as people learn, realize they couldn't read the books. Wait, I'm confused. So people were not buying books? No, they and were then... buying books, but they didn't realize they were nearsighted or farsighted. I always get those two confused where they needed glasses to be able to actually read the letters of the book or read the book. So glasses became more popular and economically feasible as glass science became caught up with the printing press. How were they able to make that connection, though? No, it wasn't a connection. It was a social need because glasses were already around at the time of the printing press. But it wasn't, uh-huh. it wasn't as okay. common. As I misunderstood. It yeah, it wasn't as common and it wasn't as um, prevalent. So costs were extremely high. Yeah, it's How We Got to Now by Stephen Jason. He talks about how the cost of glasses were high because there wasn't a lot of books and a lot of reading material, right? But the printing right. press caused a need for more glasses. And so mass production of glasses and glass science became better because there is an economic need for glasses. As more people started realizing they needed glasses to read the new books that came out of the printing press. That's interesting. Cool. Indeed. Right? <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> I'm still processing it. <laughs> I would highly recommend yeah. the book to everyone here. Um, how we got to now as it connects things that I hadn't even thought were connected before. Cool. So my interesting thing of the week is also a book. Uh, it's actually a book called Deep Work. Mm, um, heard of that? And uh, it's um, the, the the tagline for it: rules rules for focused success in a distracted world. Uh, and this book has actually been very interesting to me because it you know the quick synopsis is it basically talks about how we're in a knowledge we're in a knowledge world you know uh, where you know we have these knowledge jobs, but a lot of our day-to-day job is actually uh, favors uh, doing shallow work, which, you know, is actually like, you know, checking email, you know, you know, the, the, the micro distractions, chats, things like that, you know, but the skills that are highly valued in our society are deep work, but our society is over-optimized towards shallow work. So it's just an interesting concept because it's right. It's like, you know, to be successful in this knowledge economy, you have to do deep work, 
But the things that this knowledge economy values, you know, in the day to day is shallow work. So how do you balance that? Right. You know, how do you how do you ensure that you can do deep work in a world that constantly demands shallow work from you, but actually values the deep work you do more? Uh, so, to office to, for, to do that shallow work, even though you can do it all from home. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a good book. I would recommend it. I think um, it's on my list. Cool. Well, thanks, uh, everyone. Uh, this has been another episode of the Collaboration Collaborating Conversations podcast. And uh, that's it. <laughs> Bring an outro. Thank you for listening. Check out our podcast on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Apple Podcasts if you enjoy the show. For more books and inspiring stories from today's authors, please subscribe to our podcast.